Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Sykes Movie Beat Conversations with Filmmakers, where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. And we will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera. And I'll provide you with the guests and the information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. And so now let's move behind the scenes here at Movie Beat. My guest today is producer, writer, actor, Lenore Andriel, and her producing partner, executive producer, Steve Doucette, who also co-wrote Yellow Rock, a movie now available that you can see, and uh, I encourage you to do so. We'll talk more about both these uh, very fascinating people and the movie in just a moment. Let me say that we are live and the official web address is rexsykes.com. That's my name. I'm your host. It's R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S dot com. All of these interviews are uh, conducted live and then recorded or recorded live and then archived at RexSykes.com in the interviews blog page. So just go to RexSykes.com, go to interviews, find my guest by name, and uh, you can listen live and or archived. If you're listening live, you can join us in the chat room, and we encourage the, uh, everyone to do that. That's awesome. Also, whether you're listening live or archived, do us this favor. Reach out, email someone, talk to someone across the room, phone them, grab someone, and ask them to join you in listening. Let them know that the show is is available and that they can listen to it either with you live or by themselves, or they can listen to it archived, um, the recorded show. And also, please leave comments both during the show at the player and or um, after the show, once it's done. Uh, you can do that again, live or recorded. Uh, we really appreciate the comments, and we really appreciate you reaching out to others because it helps extend our reach to other people out there in the world who may not know about the show, may not uh, have had the opportunity to hear my guests speak before. And uh, when you leave a comment, when you rate and review the show at the podcast, because all these shows are available at iTunes as a free podcast, when you rate and review the show there, when you leave comments and when you share the show, uh, it extends the the reach of our show to other filmmakers and fans uh, makes us obviously uh, much more available to them, and we appreciate it so much when you do. I appreciate all the support and all the love uh, already from people who tweet and retweet and who Facebook the show and who share it to their walls and share it with their friends. You guys are great. All right, well, enough about all that. Let me tell you about my guests today. Uh, sorry for the big um there, but uh, Lenore Andriel is an actor, and Steve Doucette uh, together wrote and produced Yellow Rock, starring Michael Bean and James Russo and Andriel. Uh, Andriel's first starring role was with Bo Svensson in Blood Brothers, and she had leads in award-winning indie films including Childhood with Tara Fitzgerald, Midnight Witness with Max Caulfield, and the tearjerker indie Desperate Measures. She also starred opposite the likes of Paul Rudd, Dennis Heisbert, uh, Paul Johansson, 
and Miguel Ferrer. In uh, both films and television, she portrays several lead characters in the world of Warcraft. Her list of gaming characters for Blizzard includes Ysera, Mothership, Archival System, and more. She's an avid traveler, a passion, passionate about the environment, and a consummate horsewoman. And in Yellow Rock, she portrayed the strong female lead, Dr. Sarah Taylor. Now, she uh, also rides the horse, and, and that, uh, for me, I'm an avid horseman, so I, I love that. This is cool. All right. Now, uh, Steve Doucette and her uh, wrote this film, and this is their first venture as uh, filmmakers, and it paid off with uh, her winning a coveted Best Actress Award, Best Screenplay, shared with, uh, of course, co-writer Steve, and Best Picture multiple times, and Best Producer before the film had ever been released. Steve Doucette was at one time a stand-up comedian who worked with the likes of Drew Carey, Soupy Sales, and The Unknown Comic, some of the best comedy clubs in the country. And with Doucette's current behind-the-scene business acumen, he and Andrea were able to attract the prestigious entertainment law firm of Redner and Geig and um, and their producer rep at the firm, Nur Ahmed, brokered the worldwide distribution deals for them. And together, they're working on their next project with uh, with the development company, with the development of their new company, Enlightenment Films. All right. So I want to welcome both uh, Steve and Lenore to the show today. Hi, how are you doing? Lenore, are you there? I'm here, Rex. Good morning to you. Good morning. And uh, Steve, are you there as well? I'm here. Good morning to you, Rex. All right, good morning. Well, this is exciting. I'm glad to have you both on the show. Um, I've been lucky. I've seen the movie. Actually, I've, I've seen it now a couple of times, So, uh, uh, and I'm going to see it again. <laughs> we <laughs> love to so, hear you know. that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's very cool. So let me ask you right out of the gate, um, just how did you both meet, and then um, from that, how did you become writing and producing partners? Well, oddly enough, I was actually you know, helping a, a, a girl Try and find her stray cat. <laughs> <laughs> that was me, Rex. Uh-huh. About twelve o'clock at night. I was much more interested in Lenore than I was in the cat, but that's uh, <laughs> a whole other story. <laughs> and that started a wonderful um, partnership and friendship, and we've been. Oh God, it's been at least a good ten years, and um, one thing led to another, and. Uh, here we are after having done Yellow Rock together, and um, we hope to do many more in the future, too. Awesome, awesome. And uh, you not only produced together, and mm-hmm. uh, Steve taking the executive producer role, you taking uh, a creative producer role, yeah. uh, Then, but you also wrote together. Yes. Um, we actually had an idea to do a web series, and um, there, was, uh, there were a lot of similarities, et cetera, and Steve and I were going to uh, sort of write this together and kind of put my contacts in the business together, um, just sort of do an, a nice little pilot and see where we would go with that. And in that process, we wound up realizing, you know what, it's actually a lot better for the money that Steve was going to put in at the time to do a pilot for a web series. Let's just do an indie film. And that shifted everything greatly. Once we decided to then do it as an indie film, we started to do some research and we started to talk. And it was actually a present-day film. And in the creative process of talking and discussing about my character and and some of the other uh, Native American characters, Steve came up with the idea and said, why don't we just do this as a Western 
Why don't we do it as a period piece? Not, number one, creatively, it would completely open the door for us with a plethora of visual ca- eye candy and the dirtiness and grittiness of, of the Old West. Um, but it would also save us a lot of money because when, when you're doing a present-day film, now you've got cars and exteriors, and um, it actually was would wind up being a lot more. Um, and we were off and running, and, and uh, we had no idea that Westerns, we're actually going to be hot, right, Steve? Absolutely. We kind of fell into that. It was a happy accident um, because as soon as we started developing it, all the other cowboy movies, you know, started coming to the forefront. Whether it was, you know, Cowboys, wow. Aliens, True Grit. So our timing was great, you know, as far as you know, being in that, you know, in that curve to where you want to be in a genre that we hope is uh, making a comeback now. I think, you know, a lot of people like ourselves grew up with westerns, and we'd like to see it come back. Well, there's something, I mean, you know, the Western, the, the uh, just the scenery alone, just when you're out, you know, on a trail with horses and, and you see the backgrounds, that, I think, in, it, in and of itself has, has, has an awesome appeal. Then when you've got a good movie and a good cast of characters and, a, and great action, I think it, it just, it, I mean, it does. It, it, it typically, I mean, I think it just fits all together really well. And I think you did that really, really well with Yellow Rock. Thank you, thank you, Rex. It was uh, it was an experience like no other. I mean, for Steve, this was um, um, kind of his second foray into into filmmaking, um, and we can talk about that later. But it certainly wasn't my first time, but it was my first time doing a western, and it's not like anything else. Um, it's magical, it's exhilarating, it's exceedingly difficult. Um, people don't realize when you say a Western how much actually gets involved with the minutiae. On um, the overall canvas of it, the, you know, bringing in the beauty and the outdoors is, is fantastic, but then you have to worry about all the other issues, um, not the least of which having a lot of actors, myself included, galloping on horseback you know, through this rough terrain and shooting guns and, and all of the aspects um, that that entails. Well, I think it's just much harder to do. Uh, you know, you 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 pointed out. Well, gee, you know, maybe it's cheaper to do the westerns. We don't have the cars yeah. and everything else. But I think it's just much harder to do a western because when you have the attention to detail and making it come off as if it were, you know, a hundred years ago or more, you've got all of the horses and the wildlife and the, and the wrangling of of just that and trying to hit marks and and and, and the terrain <laughs> and. and uh, you know, making the cast believable cowboys and Indians, you know, the whole thing. I mean, it, 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 to me, I think it's, it's incredibly ambitious to have your first producing venture be a Western. It really was, right, Steve? And that's what most people told us, you know. Um, what we were trying to do was extremely ambitious and uh, almost rolling their eyes at us. <laughs> but, uh, I, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> because it really is. You have multiple locations, and you have an, an extremely challenging schedule as well because, you know, of, of the, you know this is a low-budget, you know, uh, independent film. So everybody is really on the go. You only have time to do, you know, most of the time just one take. And so we had a yeah yeah, and and so thank God we had a great cast that was able to pull that off and director and DP, it's it is really uh, quite involved. I had been on set you know as a as a you know as an AD as an assistant director on sets before, but being in charge of everything and, and responsible for everyone and especially their safety. You know, as we're doing these stunts, is really important, and uh, that'll that'll get your stomach turning. <laughs> oh, I bet, I bet. 
Um, yeah, I want to come back to that in, in a few moments, hopefully with, with, in today's show too, about the stunts and everything that goes on. But, yeah. but did you did you did I hear you correctly? Did you say that that your shot ratio was like one to one? You had one take, or, or that much of the time because of a stunt or something you had one take. Yeah, we had two cameras. This was a two-camera shoot, thank God, um, yeah. <clears throat> which that helped enormously. Obviously, you're getting your wide shots at the same time that, um, you know, camera <clears throat> on camera B or camera A, you're doing your close-ups either way. And so that does absolutely help. Um, and, and granted, you know, the director is under enormous pressure because he has to know when to do his one or two takes. Um, I, as the female lead, most of the time got one take, one to two takes. And, st- and, and I sit there, and, and, and I'm used to doing that a lot by doing independent uh, films. But Steve, Steve knew I would get, like, a little upset and look at him like, wait a minute, I want another take, and you yeah. can answer that. Yeah. Well, you know, our director, Nick, is saying, you know what, I, I got what I wanted. She nailed it, you know. <laughs> and it, what's really interesting about it, too, is, is that, you know, a lot of the dialogues, you know, there was one or two takes, but what was interesting was the action scenes. That's where you had to do two or three or, you know, takes. And so even sure. the simplest thing where somebody might be falling down might look, might look like a, a stunt, but if they have to do it three and four times, you know, it starts to beat you up. Oh, well, yeah, very much so. Um, were you, now, just to clarify, were you shooting on film? Is that why? Or was it the, the amount of days that you had, you know, in terms of, was it was it the cost of raw stock or was it the, the amount of time you had to shoot that, that you had the, the narrow uh, shot, shot ratio? Uh, we actually shot this digitally on two red cameras, which... I highly recommend to any independent filmmakers, and I'll tell you why. You have so much more latitude in post to fix any, uh, not any, but a lot of the mistakes or a lot of the aspects that maybe you you didn't get, uh, i.e. maybe you didn't get enough coverage. Now you can take it from um, uh, uh, from the the picture ratio and actually push in by two hundred by two hundred times and actually cheat it and get your close up. Um, it also helps with coloring in post, etc. So. There are many wonderful reasons why, if you're going to do independent, it, it's much more cost-effective, um, and you get a great quality to it, for sure. Um, the second aspect of that was we wrote an exceedingly uh, ambitious script. I like to write um, with a lot of detail in terms of the description to give the director a lot of visuals of how how that scene looks. Um, and then, of course, he can go in and do what he wants. But it was a very ambitious script, and... We had to do it in 12 days, and wow. that's almost impossible when you've got nine principal actors on horseback, a complete entire Indian village. Uh, I, it, it was at least 20 different locations within the Values A Movie Ranch. Um, but we lucked out because we were at the Values A Movie Ranch. Everything was self-contained. Had we had to leave the ranch, it would never have happened. Uh, so was, go ahead, Steve. I was just going to say, so it was important for us to find a location where it was one-stop shopping. Yeah. Well, you, you worked so many things that I think are important for filmmakers to to listen to it and hear. You you talked about the advantage of being digital and using the red, the advantages to post and, and yeah. what you can do to correct and or to push in. You know, you talk about having a you you have you have a shot ratio, even though with digital you can shoot forever, but you've got a time 
limit in which yes. you you know restricts you from being able to shoot forever because some people go well it's digital I can just keep going and then they run out of time but you were disciplined and I think that's the you know and, and realizing you know I mean your, your your crew and your cast and and your director and everybody you know that that in order to get it done on time you have to you have to stick to the rules in other words you that you that mm-hmm. that you set for yourselves and yes. so. Yeah, can I just I, I just thought of something because I think it, it's it might be something that we might forget to talk about. One of the things that's really important here is that you have a cast and a crew who is used to doing independent filmic independent films because you don't have time to babysit everyone to explain to them why we're we're two and done we're moving on we're moving on they need to be right in line with the timing and also somewhat ahead of it um i.e our um uh, um Production designer and our art department, they had to be two and three scenes ahead of us setting it up so that when we were done with that particular location, they were ready, we were ready to come in and start the, the, uh, set up the cameras and start rehearsing there. So it is important that the entire team that you have has that background as well. And and so much of that comes with, you know, pre-production and your first AD, your line producer, production managers, the idea of scheduling and knowing what to do and and where to be putting people and then having set management, um, you know, operating efficiently and skillfully to say, okay, you guys go do this and and they all do it while, you know, Nick and you guys are concentrating on something else. Yes. I think I think, and, and I, I want to say here because this is a first feature film, and we mentioned before how ambitious an undertaking it was. And now that I listen to you talk more about it, I go, "Whoa, <laughs> what an incredible, what an incredible set of circumstances you put yourself into for the first time." And I think that a lot of people out there go, "Well, hey, wait, this is a low-budget movie. I'm an actor. I'm in the area. I should get a job, or I'm a crew person. I should work this." But they don't necessarily realize that the reason why you pick the professionals that you do or for what you just said in other words there are a lot of actors out there who might be able to act well but they don't know framing they don't know uh, about doing a thing in a take or two and so you can't bring kind of a newbie actor on in a situation like this as much as you might want to yeah or a newbie crew person because, because you're under the gun you you've got you know, very critical things that need to happen in, in a timely fashion. The, absolutely, and and also when you're doing uh, work like this, where your people are getting squibbed and they're getting shot and they're dying, right. or they're they're galloping at full pace on horses with a, a bunch of horses around you, um, or shooting guns, and and you know, so there's various aspects of that even as well for the art of doing an independent, authentic. Uh, timepiece that's important too and we were very stringent about that in the casting sessions about asking the actors who were auditioning do you have any horseback riding experience and we don't mean that you went on a, on a horse one time when you were 10 years old for a pleasure ride we mean do you know how to ride a horse and because I'm a horsewoman when they would say it, I was able to then get into questioning them further, and I could tell whether they were telling me the truth or not. Uh, yeah, right, right. <laughs> well, you know, you and I talked before about this, and I said, you know, my my limit to riding horse in movie was with another horse. I mean, there were two of us in the in the scenes in the shots riding, but you had as many as nine people or so riding yeah. together and and trying to frame that and keep the horses together and keep the actors. Like, I mean, they're the cast members. You're not doubling these people up. They're doing their own riding. Well, that's right. So, <laughs> I mean, 
amazing, just totally amazing. You guys are out of your mind. You just we were, we were really out of, and and I'll tell you what, <laughs> that's that's with all of everything being perfect, right, Steve? That would be if everything went perfectly, and it didn't. <laughs> oh, I, you'd be amazed at what can happen. And for any uh, young or first-time movie makers out there, that's what you really want to do is make sure that you're prepared for, for what you don't even know what's going to happen. And you think of just a simple gallop ride into the village, nothing can go wrong. But your horse can fall into a pothole, oh, um, you know, reins on, you know, can be cut on the horse. Lots of things can go wrong. Oh, absolutely. My gosh. Well, you know... Uh, you know, it, it could have been a nice little romantic comedy, you know, a, kind of a coffee scene, you know, a, a little clerks kind of thing in a in a store. You know, but yeah. you guys decided to to brave the element. Now you're shooting in 110, 120 degree heat as well. Exactly, and so you have the, and that's another aspect too. When we were talking about shooting quickly, we're, most of this is is exteriors, so we're losing light. So that's another factor. We yeah, have to, yeah. you know, we've got, this was a journey movie. So the majority of it is about the danger and, and the unfolding of what's going to happen, all the bad things that are going to happen to these people once they go on this journey. So there's no way to cheat that. You know, you're, you're outside, you're, you're done for. So you have the blazing heat, you know, you're, everyone's sweating, which was actually great because <laughs> it looks wonderful on camera. We're really soaked in sweat. You've got bees and hornets that are around us stinging us in the whole nine yards. Um, and you have to be very careful of the other elements like the rattlesnakes. This is an 800-acre real movie ranch. And next thing you know, you know, you have to have people going ahead to make sure there's no rattlesnakes. And I saw them. I mean, I, I, I saw them. Yeah. And there's actually mountain lions there, too. <laughs> so you have to be thinking ahead. So yeah, well, I mean, you know, that that is I I wandered off on a set in when I was 18, 19 years old up up just in Topanga Canyon alone up in the mountains. And mm-hmm. the caretaker on that property when we were shooting, I came, you know, wandering back, you know, while everybody was setting stuff up. I mean, he tore me a new one. He goes, "Do you realize what's in these mountains? There's snakes." He said, "I killed a, a snake, this, you know, this morning before you got here under my cabin. I mean, on my trail." I mean, he was like, "You have no idea what you just wandered off into." And I'm like, "Oh, come on, this is the mountains." He's like, "No, no, no. There's a mountain lion. There are snakes. So, I mean, you guys. I mean, you're dealing with this stuff. I mean, and and you've got a whole bunch of people to be responsible for." Yes, and it's very frightening from the standpoint of being producers on it because, you know, you have the, all the creative fun stuff that you want to make sure that all of that is handled, but then you have the fears um, as, you know, it's Steve's money, we're producing this, this is our first baby together, and now we're worried about the safety of everyone as well. Um, and I literally, remember Steve, I would run around with my little first aid bag, Tell me she about really that. was playing Doctor Sarah, you know, for every nick and scratch <laughs> that everybody got. It was, uh, it was. Uh, she was. She just was in character the whole time. <laughs> we had my my prop my prop doctor's bag, and then I literally brought. They they would ask for Lenore's second doctor bag, and I brought a whole bunch of stuff um, for all the cuts and bruises and bee stings, and so in between takes. Someone would literally go, you know, Dr. Sarah, can you, I, I just got this cut. Can you help me? And I literally would do that. I would run over and well, <laughs> manage them up, check it out. <laughs> it's true. I mean, our director got, you know, attacked by bees, and you mm-hmm. know, so she was. Oh, Lord. Yeah, it, it was, and, and even uh, one time, a bunch of horses, uh, one of the horses got attacked by bees. It's, it was crazy. It's the real Wild West out there, you know, on Daniel Valuze's motion picture ranch. It's not a, like it's. 
you know, a replica. It is the Old West, you know, and with every is, element. And it is located where? What's the, where, where that's, uh, in, that's in New Hall, California, uh, and it is within the 30-mile range, which was terrific for us. Okay. Um, and it's really a magnificent place. I mean, I don't think we can say enough about it. It had the Yellow Rock, the town that we called Yellow Rock. It had my cabin exactly as as we had it written in the script. Um, we Daniel actually built uh, a, a mine there. Um, there were so many wonderful locations that are already there that are sets that can be used. And then you also got this incredible landscape with mountains and trees and trails and. It is really eye candy, um, and you don't have anything else around there. I mean, there's nothing. There's no, there's no street lights. There's no traffic. It's you're really out in the wild west for for real. Um, so, so did people return to their homes at night. You didn't have to house them. They could just because you were the, you're in studio range. I mean, you're you're in yeah. the thirty miles. So yeah, most people did. Uh huh. And then uh, we, you know, as you go along, I mean, we also, by the way, we shot this where we would do five days on, two days off. So we really tried to give actors as much comfort as we possibly could to take care of them because we knew that, you know, having them go at a breakneck clip for six days and and going over 12 hours would just kill everybody. So we we kept within the 12 hours, um, five days on, two days off. And then uh, as you got along, you still, you know, you start getting more tired. So so some of us did start staying up there. Um, there was actually, we had an amazing amount of trailers on set. We had a whole village that was base camp. So I was really, asking really, how far your base camp was from, from, from most of the set. You know, it, it was there, yeah, it was there on the location with, you know, I mean, Michael Bean and James Russo and myself, we all had our own trailers, um, you know, beautiful honey wagons that were that we got a wonderful um, situation with through Daniel Valuze and our director, Nick. Okay. Um, we had trailers for everyone else. Um, it was a city. It was an actual city there that was base camp. So uh, I want to do two things. When you you started to take care of, of that, but... Uh, I'm going to want to come back to a question here. The uh, the stars of the movie are yourself and Michael Bean and James Russo and um, Michael and Eddie Spears. Michael and Eddie Spears. Okay, and then and we'll talk about other casts in just a moment. But um, the website. I want yes. to get the website and your Facebook and uh, stuff out right away because people can watch the trailer if they're not familiar. The trailer's on YouTube. I put it in the chat room. I've got the website in the in the chat room as well. But I want to make sure that the uh, listeners, if they're listening, can go and uh, find these. So YouTube, they can find the official trailer for Yellow Rock. Yes, we have an actual uh, YouTube channel, Yellow Rock Movie. Um, everything is pretty much under Yellow Rock Movie. So Twitter, Facebook, um, YouTube, it's all under Yellow Rock Movie. Um, YellowRockMovie.com. YellowRockMovie.com is the website. And then, of course, for Facebook, it's Facebook.com, Yellow Rock Movie. Uh, Twitter is Twitter, Yellow Rock Movie. Um, and YouTube, uh, if, they, if they go to YouTube and put in Yellow Rock Movie, our Yellow Rock Movie channel comes up where we've got behind-the-scenes clips, uh, the trailer, interviews, television, red carpets of premieres that we've had at film festivals. So they can get a lot of, of great stuff there as well. That is awesome. Um, and then uh, my question was for the listeners, when because you, you mentioned the thirty mile radius and mm -hmm. uh, in the studio, can you can you elaborate on that being outside, you know, thirty five miles away, you're on location versus being in town, 
and and what that means to production. And okay. maybe Steve too, you know, in terms of executive producing, what it means, the difference in terms of what you have to do or what you would have had to do and the difference in cost. Okay. We actually did this as a union film. This was not a non-union film. So this was a SAG film, um, which, again, we chose to do that in part because we wanted people uh, that had the name value, like a Michael Bean and James Russo and Michael and and Eddie Spears, and myself, I'm a SAG actress also. Um, But we wanted to be able to adhere uh, to what those prerequisites were. One of them is the 30-mile range. If you do non-union, it doesn't matter about the 30-mile range. That's, that's up to you, and that's up to you and your cast. But within the, the SAG guidelines, once you go over the 30-mile range, uh, you do have to house the actors um, and or you do have to give them a certain amount, a per diem for gas and expenses, and you have to pay them more um, because they're now on the clock. So it was important to us, since we did want to do this as a SAG film, to make sure that it also didn't hamper us financially to such an extent that it was just crazy and 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 going to kill us on on you know financially. Um, so that actually made a lot more sense to us to do both. So we we lucked out. We wanted it to be a real film (laughs) and one where everybody felt really good about doing it, that they weren't hiding from SAG, um, that they were very much out in the open and doing uh, a union picture, but yet still make them comfortable. Wow, cool, very cool. Can we talk a little bit, yes or no, and the answer is totally up to you, about what the budget was and or how you got the talent? Is it a favorite nations clause or or – we don't have to go into too much detail, but just how do you, how do you assemble a cast and crew, you know, uh, of this caliber? Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah it, it was favored nations, um, and you do have to get the okay from the representatives, the, whether it's the agent or managers, and of course the actors themselves. Um, when you have stars of this caliber. Um, then the supporting cast, of course, you know, they have to all agree to it. But, yes, this was Favored Nations. It was a, a low-budget SAG indie. And I think the reason that that worked uh, for them was because it was a Western. You know, what actor doesn't like to play cowboys and Indians? We did it as children. What a great, fun time to be shooting and ride, galloping on horses and out in the wilderness and um, you know, it's such a fantasy for most people. And we actually heard a statistic that, um, like, one out of only one out of ten directors ever gets to possibly even do a western, let alone actually do it. And most actors don't ever get to do westerns. So it was a real, um, as challenging as it was, the actors were up for the challenge and they really wanted to do it. So, um, so we lucked out and were able to do this in a, in a much more affordable way. When it comes to the budget, Steve was mainly our guy. You want to talk about how you started and kept opening your wallet? <laughs> well, I, I know I said this earlier in the show, Rex, but uh, I'm going to be redundant about it. You cannot be undercapitalized. You can budget your movie, but you also have to make sure that you've got enough on the sidelines, especially for post. Otherwise, movie makers can sit there and their movie is like a tangled ball of Christmas tree lights and they can't get it in the can. <laughs> right. So anything can and anything probably will go wrong, and you have to kind of think ahead in that regard. But my partner, Lenore, lied to me to, be, to start off anyway. I mean, she, she, she told me all I was going to do was just, you know, get a chair and sit on set and watch her shoot a movie. That couldn't have been farther from the truth. 
I was hauling ice back and forth. I'm playing craft services. I'm, you know, it, it's just amazing what happens on set and what you have to do. Uh, 120 degrees out there. It was so grueling that you really do need, and we did fortunately have tremendous cooperation from everybody, cast, crew. I mean, and that's what you have to have on on independent films like this. People that know what you're up against and understand it. Oh, that, that is that is. I mean, again, you know, uh, I can't emphasize enough the the insanity that you guys <laughs> gone through uh, in, in choosing Rex, a western uh, to be your first. Huh? Yeah, Rex, the backstory to everything is probably more interesting than the movie itself. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it really is an amazing undertaking. There were so many ups and downs um, behind the scenes. Um, that you don't even have enough time on this show to go over. It. <laughs> well, we don't. But the, but the, the but as we've discussed, uh, we're going to revisit Yellow Rock uh, a number of times with uh, you and uh, potentially Nick, the director, and other people and cast members and things like that. So, because uh, I, I really do want to explore this because you you know while most people may not get to direct or act in westerns, uh, they are. Hot now, and they are yeah. of interest, and the challenges that they present. I mean, in other words, if if I think a lot of people, especially now, when anyone can pick up a camera and anyone can cut a movie, not that they should, not that yeah. they're good at it, but but the fact that movie making has become more consumer uh, mode than ever before. Uh, that that when we can talk about something that's challenging like this, and and the kind of uh, errors and mistakes that can happen. Hopefully we spare a lot of other people those mistakes when they do make their horror movies and their dramas and their comedies and their, you know, other than Western features or their action films because they will have learned um, from the, the the sweat and tears and mm-hmm. and through the laughter of what went on, you know, in a production like your production here today. That we're yeah, yes. And I, we I really, find it extremely valuable. It really, uh, we really hope that we can help in that regard because when people were telling us that we were absolutely insane for trying to do this, <clears throat> they weren't that specific. So, you know, that that doesn't really help you. You know what I'm saying? It's right. like, okay, well, we're crazy. We know that for trying to do this, but we needed we needed to know the whys and 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 just sort of the blanket statements of anything can and will happen when they said that to us. We said, well, okay, but, uh, you know, I, I've been doing this for a long time as as my career. I know that already. But it it is good for people to know what the what the bad and the good is as you're doing uh, the pitfalls uh, that you have to look out for when you're doing a Western. And what we can do, Rex, you were mentioning, you know, you'd like us to, to talk again, and we'd love that. Right. Maybe a little bit further down the line, if folks have watched the movie, then they can actually come to the table with questions um, that right. would be very specific about what they saw, and, and we're happy to answer those as well. Well, that's why I told you, you know, I'm just going to watch it again, and I do want to watch it again, but I also want to watch it again now with having spoken more in depth with you about the movie to go, oh, you know, this is this makes it even more interesting to look at the different things, and it would give me other questions that I would want to ask you, too. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Did you actually see different things in the second and third go-around when you watched the film? Yeah, I can't specify what that would be yes. at this moment, but absolutely. I mean, it, you know, it I you know, as a young filmmaker, I always uh went to movies four or five times 
uh, of those movies that I that I really liked, or those movies that I thought there was something to learn from, because I, I went and I would put on, you know, an actor cap, and then I try and come back as a, a cinematographer cap, and I try and come back with a director cap and look at it from different points of view, and I still do that, and so that's kind of where I'm in with Yellow Rock right now, and and because of this conversation, it enriches even further. I go back and go, okay, now if I were an actor on this, you know, what 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 do I notice and what are the challenges now if I were directing something like so you know what if I had to to be a gaffer on this what would I be lighting and how would it you know and and that's or an editor you know what would I, and and um, but yes the answer is yes <laughs> sure yes is, absolutely yes and I'd actually like um, Steve to actually talk about that um, because yeah, well, that was purposeful yeah we purposely wrote it that way you know so you can you know see more then for yourself in that regard. There's so, slight layers, and, and and let's face it, any oh, good yeah, movie, yeah, and story wise, yeah. yeah, and and you know those good movies, you want to watch them over and over again, you know, because there's so much more that you can take in every time. I don't know how many times I've watched The Unforgiven and I still catch something, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. I think that that this is something that is important for people to know too. When you're doing an independent film, there's going to be mistakes. There's go- going to be things that, you know, people can watch the movie and go, oh, you know, what about this? Uh, okay, it's an independent film. It wasn't done by Warner Brothers, <laughs> you know. <laughs> You're lucky that I, you I, got I, the film done. You know? <laughs> I'll be real, I'll be, but I'll be candid right now. I, I didn't notice any mistakes. That's not, that, nothing that way stuck out to me at all. So, and, and if they're there, I'll, maybe I'll find them. But, I mean, I didn't, I, that, that I didn't notice. That, well, thank you, and we tried to do the best that we yeah. possibly could, and that's one of the magics of of editing and in post. Believe me, well, you know. And but and everything does, you know. I mean, I, you know, it's it's the kind of thing that I remember watching TV shows where somebody's speeding along at like seventy miles an hour, and they cut to the gear shift, and they're in park. You know, <laughs> and I'm like, why did they why did they bother to do that? Why didn't they just not put the gear shift in? I mean, you know, but they did, and I'm like, okay. you know, it's so important what Lenore mentioned too. Um, we had a great editor, John Vasquez, and um, everything that happens in post is so critical. Everybody told me, Michael Bean and James Russo, do not skimp on things like sound and color and all the things that right. would happen right. in post. That's where the quality and the production value of your movie you know, is either there or it's not. And that's where most independent films fall down. They don't have the great sound. You know, they tried to cut you know, costs in post, and that's not where you cut. And I have... You know, and a, and a score mine, as well. A, a friend of mine, Chris Lockhart, who's been on the show uh, previous a number of times actually, recently has a movie coming out called The Collection, and we were chatting one time. I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying this, but he, I said, "What well, was the budget?" He said, ten million dollars." I go, oh "My gosh, why is it ten million dollars when you know The Collector was a low budget movie?" He goes, "Because I want it to look like a movie you would see in a theater," mm-hmm. and. And that's where they put their money, you know, into making, you know, everything look right and appear right so that, you know, when it came out, it was the kind of movie that people were used to seeing. So you're absolutely right. I mean, you can't skip on, on anything in post. You can't skip on sound and you can't skip on these. And, and, and it doesn't appear, you know, what, what I'm, I hope this comes off as the compliment it's intended to be. It doesn't appear that you did any skimping. It, do, it doesn't really appear that you've been hampered in any way. It looks like a movie I would go see in a theater. I mean, it looks, you know, I'm, you know it's, uh, I like the look of the film from, from the opening frames. And, and uh, go ahead. I was going to say that's exactly what our intention was. 
you know, we wanted to make sure that we had something that had that kind of production value in Lenore? Yeah, when when we talked to uh, our producer's rep about this, um, this was sort of right after wrapping, so to speak. Um, we just sort of had a first cut. He, we discussed all of this. Okay, well, what is the, you know, what is the intention in terms of the platforming of this movie? Is it going to be straight to video? Is it going to be for film festivals slash art houses? You know, what do you guys want out of this? And we said, well, you know, we we want to really try to give it its due. And um, you know, since Steve was all in anyway at this point, we did have a couple of other investors. Uh, thank God for them as well. We thought, why skimp on this? Let's try to make it look and sound and feel like a film you would actually go to a theater and see. And if it has any legs in that regard, let's give it that shot and see what happens. And we're, we've been traveling the film festivals around the world with this film and seeing it on the big screen in 7.1 and 5.1 surround sound. It would blow you away, Rex. The difference is amazing. Oh, cool. um, so we, we have had it theatrically premiering uh, around the world. I just got back from Spain uh, not too long ago from the Almeria Western Film Festival there. You know, and, and you're just so proud of it. Um, you feel like, you know, I feel like I'm a little kid again watching Westerns on the big screen. It was really an amazing thing and then it makes it that much easier to then put it into the 4 by 3 for television and for digital downloads and etc so for us that worked um, and, we, and we will be taking it out theatrically in some art houses and, and uh, Native American casinos and the like as well and I don't want well, to be getting I'm sorry to interrupt I didn't want to be getting ahead of, uh, of this interview here but one of the big reasons why we're even doing this is this is the mission statement of our company in the first place the message behind our movie was very important for us to tell. Awesome. Oh, this is very good. And and, um, and uh, let me I say that we're at that point where I need to take a break right now, but before I take a break, let me ask you, where can people see the movie? How can they get it? Where? What? what? Okay. Uh, it is available. Um, it has recently been put out nationwide uh, on several platforms. Um, for Street, it is at Walmart. Uh, most of the time, if you can't find it in the store, you can order it through walmart.com. Um, it's also available uh, through amazon.com, Blockbuster, Barnes & Noble, Family Video, Ingram. It has been on Video On Demand. I'm not sure if it's still playing nationwide, um, Video On Demand, but it was on NBC Universal, uh, Verizon, AT&T, most of the, the Video Online, Video On Demand um, uh, cable networks. Uh, it's also available at Redbox that was just released the other day nationwide, um, which I just got one actually <laughs> the other day. I wanted to see how it looks when it pops out of the Redbox key, uh, uh, little kiosk there. Um, and it's also available for streaming on iTunes, um, Sony platform, PS3, and Xbox 360. Oh, that's very cool. That's very, very cool. So. Uh, listeners have an opportunity, and and viewers have an opportunity to see it in many different areas and places. So that's mm-hmm. that's cool. All right, I'm going to take a short break. You guys stand stand by, and and we'll be right back. Uh, okay. You're listening to Rex Sykes Movie Beat. The uh, official web address is r e x s i k e s dot com. That's my name. I'm your host, Rex Sykes. My guests today are Lenore Andriel and Steve Doucette, producers, writer, and actor, actress, actually of uh, the film Yellow Rock, the movie, the feature film Western, starring Michael Bean, James Russo, Lenore, Andriel, and uh, and and others. I'll, I'll say that for now. 
All right. So, again, I want to remind everybody who's listening to please leave comments both live during the show and or archive. doesn't matter when you leave the comments. If you're at the player, you can always go leave a comment. Uh, tell what you liked. Tell if you have questions. Tell what you hated, whatever it might be. Uh, but leave a comment at the player either during the show or after the show. Different people's browsers do different things, and the window may or may not be uh, obvious. But it's beneath the chat room if you have the chat room open. Uh, during the live. Also, rate and review the podcast at iTunes uh, and subscribe. There's over 300 hours of professional filmmakers uh, sharing their expertise, their secrets, their tips, their how-tos, their golden nuggets, their what to do, what not to do to help you make your films, your movies, your web series, your television shows smoother, less expensively, more efficiently, and to advance your own careers, whether they be in front of the camera or behind the camera. And so we help you do that. We also help and 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 ask that you share this interview and these interviews with uh, your friends and filmmaking uh, friends on Twitter, on Facebook. Your live tweets right now are, are really good. If you're listening in the chat room, you can shoot, tweet some, some of these comments that my guests make live. That's very valuable to us. Whenever you promote my guests, you promote me. I really do appreciate it, and I thank you for all the love. So, again, we're back with Lenore and Steve, and, uh, and thanks for hanging in there. Um, wow. So we have come to a point where we've literally got about 20 minutes left in the show. And uh, let me ask you uh, about your director. And uh, and then, I, oh, I want to, before we do that, let's go to the mission of Enlightenment Films. Yes. Um, when I initially started Enlightenment Films, it was because as an actor, uh, I didn't feel that I was always necessarily able to get the best roles and the best scripts and et cetera. You have to make a living. And right. though I was always thankful um, for any work, uh, I felt that I was, you know, I'm an adult now and I want to be doing work that I felt very proud of and would leave my mark somehow uh, through my acting work. So I developed Enlightenment Films uh, to be able to, whether it was writing projects myself or uh, potentially buying scripts from other people that would have some sort of an impact, um, touch people in some way, maybe raise their level of consciousness or were informative. And so then when Steve joined on with that, I was I was developing projects, but when he really joined on, he had the same exact intent, and we thought, um, this is really what we want to do. We we don't, it's not, we're not here to make just movies about nothing and hope that we make a lot of money. We want to actually, and that's okay. That's totally fine. It just wasn't our mission. Our mission was to have movies that um, hopefully impart something to make people think. Um, and give them something that they walk away from the film and say, you know, that that impacted me in some way. Well, I also, and I think you're accomplishing that, and I also found with the movie, and I don't want to give anything away story-wise or plot-wise, <laughs> that, that I, I found that there were interesting twists in there, and what I thought was going on may not have been going on, and, and when things were revealed, and I go, oh, now this is interesting. It's truly, you know, about this as opposed to that, you know. And yes, you know, so yes. that uh, why these things occurred was uh, out of you know whatever basic human, you know. Yes. We, we like to leave. We we thought that we when we were writing this together that we would try and leave things like the ending up to your own interpretation, mm -hmm. as, as as far as what the audience, what do you think happened? So it has that type of an ending to it as well. Um, yeah. But our goal from day one, any projects that we have, is to entertain and to enlighten. 
Very cool. Well, and I, I think I think uh, uh, one, it's noble, and two, you accomplished it. I always tell filmmakers, myself included, I go, you know, we all have crap in our backgrounds, things that we're not pleased with, but everybody's got it, you know, and everybody's done it, you know, and hopefully you get to leave, you know, a better legacy of things that you're proud of. And I got to say, you know, for for this being your first movie out of the gate, you, should, you can be real proud of it. Thank you, thank you. Well, you know, it, it's. It's always hard, Rex, and, and I really do appreciate you saying all the wonderful things that you're speaking from your heart. Um, you know, you, you make a movie, and, and someone had said this to me, and it's really true. There's a movie that you write, the movie that you shoot, and the movie that you wind up having. And I never realized the the import of that and, and how true it is as well. And uh, though it's it's the same movie, it, certainly in theory and, and et cetera, there are different things that wind up happening to it. It's, it's like watching a child grow. And so, of course, you love the baby. I mean, we love our baby, and we've watched it a billion and one times, of course, and you're sitting in, in post and watching it and tweaking and et cetera. But then you have to put the baby out there in the world. You have to put that child out there and see how everyone responds to it. And, you know, of course, not every movie is going to be for everyone. And if people are just looking for something that's um, your more standardized shoot 'em up Western, that's not this. Though there's tons of shooting, this does have many layers to it and mysticism and a message, etc. And we've been very fortunate because going to the film festivals and seeing the audience's reactions and the Q&As and et cetera afterwards, it's being so wonderfully embraced. The feelings that you have about it are coming through, but whether it's other reviewers, et cetera, and audiences, it's the same, and we're very fortunate about that. And then we've also, we're up to 18 awards on this film. Wow, so wow. we have the medal <laughs> as well. It's sitting on our tables. <laughs> so true. that makes you very proud, you know, when you have those awards sitting there and you go, well, it's not just us, um, you know, being very proud of our child. Other people are appreciating what we try to accomplish here. Well, and 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 that's very very cool. I, again, I it it goes back to you know me saying I, you know when you when you listen to you talk and when you when people hear what you uh, did in terms of writing and producing and acting in this mm-hmm. and executive producing and, and you know, but but assembling the team that you did and doing it in twelve days, um, you know I mean it's just it's just. You know, it's it's just amazing. I was going to say it's just mind-boggling. How long was pre-production? Now, that was actually something I was going to touch on before. We were talking about that before, and I thought, you know, this is a good time to talk about that. The pre-production was paramount to being able to shoot that in 12 days. We did pre-production for a good three months. Part of it was that at one point, once Nick actually, Nick, our director, Nick Vallelonga, actually brought to the table um, Michael Bean and James Russo, who he had worked with on several other films. Paul Weber um, our, uh, uh, cast The Cowboys, um, and he's a wonderful casting director. We're going to use him for the rest of our lives, if possible. Awesome. <laughs> um, he closed all those deals. But when he, when Nick brought us uh, the possibility of Michael, who Michael Bean, who wanted to read it first, of course, he was actually doing The Victim. He and his wife, Jennifer, were doing their film, The Victim, which they wrote wow. and produced and acted in. So we had to actually um, uh, push off, just postpone a little bit more in the end to actually wait for him. But that was a great service for us 
because it gave us that much more time to be so specific about breaking everything down and the costumes and and all the minutiae, the guns, the saddlery, um, the actors being, myself included, being trained on movie horses versus just horseback riding. Um, and that was really paramount to being able to try to pull that off in 12 days. So we wouldn't recommend two weeks pre-production and then go try to shoot the movie in less than two weeks. No. Oh, geez. Well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't want to cut you off, Steve. I just wanted to say there is a difference. There's a huge difference between riding a movie horse and riding mm-hmm. a horse. Yes, there is. Um, and and I can certainly speak to that. Um, from the time I was nine years old, uh, I've been around horses and was a, always a pleasure rider. I know how to ride English and Western. But then Steve and I decided, because I was not going to have a stunt double, um, I was insisting on doing all my own riding, that I actually then train with, uh, work with the trainer to work with the actual riding for a movie. I mean, when you're riding and you have to deliver, you have to deliver dialogue and you have to interact with the other actors and they're on horses, keep in frame, hit your mark, go back to one, keep your horse in control at the same time that you're very aware of the camera, your co-actor, and, and the lines that you're supposed to be delivering, those are all very, very, very specific things that you have to do. And there was one time, actually, that I took Clay Wilcox, who played Roscoe in the film. He had worked in Deadwood uh, and had gone to cowboy school, like, for about three weeks. And I said, well, Clay, let's go to, uh, to the stables that I'm, I'm training at. Uh, I was training at the L.A. Equestrian Center. And we'll work with my trainer, you know, and because you're going to have a lot of different um, hard riding that you're going to have to learn how to do. Um, we went, we were riding, we started to, my trainer said, okay, we're going to gallop up this mountain uh, and around that bend. And we did, and my horse became, uh, was on the left of, of Clay's, his horse kicked my horse right in the left hind quarter, and we were falling off the cliff. Oh, jeez. And I righted my horse just on instincts, thank God, between that and what she had trained me. I was able to to put all my weight on my right stirrup, pull the horse back with the to the side with the reins, and shift him back up onto the mountain, and and speed off and gallop, uh, kick him off and, and gallop up ahead. But my horse was bleeding. <laughs> it was, oh, good. So you know, th- this was just in training. Um, you know, you, you, because poor, poor Clay. You know, his he was not used to this horse. His horse really got angry that my horse was coming around to the left. You never know what's going to happen. So, thank God we did all that work ahead of time. Um, so you, we were trying to avert <clears throat> anything that could happen on the trail. But we also had one of the top wranglers in the business, Kevin McNiven. He owned all 17 horses that he brought to the set with uh, Artisher Radpour, his main um, uh, assistant wrangler. And they did an enormously wonderful job wrangling. As soon as there was any problems, they'd, they were immediately right there, were able to get the horses in control, told us ahead of time what, what we could, could not do. You have to shoot the gun over the middle of the head of the horse because they shy if it goes to the right or left because they see from the side. Uh-huh. So <clears throat> you have to be very careful. If it's going over the middle of their head, um, they're okay with it. And these were movie horses. Um, but even as movie horses, you have to be very careful with what they're, they're actors in the film. Those horses are actors they in are. the film. 
And you have to work within their boundaries and what they are accustomed to as well. And you can't let them. Um, my horse was a muncher. He was a beautiful Palomino named Hustler. And he loved to munch in between takes. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't let him do it because then he slows down. Then he sure. gets nice and full and he's getting lazy and he doesn't want to do his work, you know. So there's um, there's a lot of a lot of aspects. Um, even if people do know how to ride horses, they still should be training on movie horses as well and work with them before you do a western. Well, the, one of the things that I had gone through training like this years and years ago. But um, I was going to say one of the things that that they had impressed on us was that movie horses have so much. They may have so many subtle commands, like if you lay the reins to the left or to the right, you know, or yes. there. They have a lot of different commands, so it takes an experienced rider to be able to ride them without confusing the horse, because you could be giving a command by leaning your weight to one way and putting the reins in another way. That might be a command for them to do something. Yes. That, you know, and so if you don't, if you just hop on a movie horse and start riding off, you you, you may end up going nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> or so or anywhere other than what you wanted to do. Because because the horse doesn't end up know on somebody else's set. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because you're you you are inadvertently signaling the horse to do things, and and when you're trying to adjust, you may be continuing to signal in different ways. So yes. learning learning how to ride that horse is a huge huge thing. I'll tell you, um, just working with animals in a movie is is, mm-hmm. is, is can be very very uh, interesting. I think is probably the word to use. You know, we had uh, you know wolves, and at one point yeah. before we started this movie, we were actually considering and uh, grizzly bears that we were going to be doing the movie with. Um, so, Lenore, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> <laughs> we I think I'd have like heard of wild squirrels. You know, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, one of the, the wonderful things about shooting at Dalyze was that there was actually, you know, you get to use all those real birds and the hawks and the owls and the sounds of the, the turkey vultures flying overhead So, and the ravens. So that was a great thing because that added a whole – and the bugs, even the bees buzzing, you know, and the wind – all of those aspects were used in the movie, and, and that's another great topic that we won't get into uh, today. We don't have time, but right. the sound design of this movie was heavy-duty um, and beautifully done by Monkeyland Audio, uh, and I'd love to talk about that another time. But uh, we also had the wolves, as, as Steve said, and I think you'll agree, Rex, they were quite beautiful in the film, oh, weren't they? Oh, of course. Yes, absolutely. Um, but there, you have to work very specifically with them as well. And I'm more than happy to talk about it, or if we're out of time, I mean, you tell me. Well, let's do this, because, and let, I'll let the listeners know right now that we're going to have you and Steve back at another time. We also have another show coming up in two days on Thursday, which is, what, the 6th of uh, December? Yep. Mm-hmm. I don't normally give out dates, but it's relevant at this point. So same time, same place, same you know, Rex Sykes movie beat location. We're going to have uh, some guests come back, possibly uh, the director and... And uh, other executive who? producer, producer. Okay, so uh, and and they'll be coming back on the show and we we'll talking too. So, but we will continue. Let's let's save that for a second because I want to do. I do want to ask you about how Nick got involved. He's your director, and and uh, and because you mentioned he brought uh, Michael and James to the table, and then and then about um, the ranch and uh, the gentleman who became the other producer. Uh, yes, uh, Nick and I actually met as actors. Um, on a movie set in New York years ago um, when we were, we were doing extra work. 
<laughs> and it's such a long, you know, when I think about it, you know, and here we are, we've done this film now, and he directed it, and, and I did the female lead. It's such a long, far cry from where we started. And we became great friends in New York. Uh, we started working together as actors. Um, I had a little murder mystery company out there that actually did quite well. And he became um, uh, our detective in the murder mystery and uh, that I would perform in. And so we became great friends. We, he, one day we were sitting on the beach uh, taking a break from doing the murder mystery, and he said, you know, I'm going to go out to L.A., and I think you should do the same. And we had a long talk about it, and I said, well, you go out there, you tell me what you think it's like. He did. He, said, he raved about it. He said, Lenore, you have to get out here. This is where you should be. I did come out. We stayed friends here. And, you know, period, periodically he would get busy, I would get busy. And we went to do this project, and I had another producing partner who then got, uh, because I'd never produced a film before, he then got another project, and I was left to do this by myself, and it, literally throwing myself into the deep end of the pool, learning and doing as I was, as I was going, and as I'm writing uh, as well, and, and getting prepared to do the female lead. So a couple, about three weeks before we were supposed to start, um, three weeks before we were supposed to start, I called Nick to see if there was another um, another producer that maybe could could help me, and he said, "I'll do it. I, I would love to do it. I'd love to work with you." We had a director. Uh, we started shooting the film, and three days into it, um, uh, this director it was very overwhelming, uh, very difficult. Um, and we decided, you know what, the best thing is really for Nick to take over as director since he had both backgrounds, both producer and director backgrounds. And he knew the cast very intimately, um, so it was going to be a lot more easy for him to work with them and work with the constraints that Westerns have. And uh, it was a whole different style of directing. Nick is a very out front, very uh, vociferous director. And we needed that. We really did need that. We needed to get everything working like clockwork and everybody um, really a, a heavy hand coming in and being uh, playing good cop, bad cop. I, I can only play good cop. <laughs> you know, it's very difficult, you know, because she's you know, the writer and trying to produce and then, you know, trying to act. And it's hard to let go of that and, and even give those controls oh, over to anybody. Yeah. It just is. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's her baby. So um, Nick was more than competent at coming in and making sure that, you know, we just, you know, shot the film and we got the movie in the can. So that was, uh, he, was a, he was a godsend to us in that regard. He mm -hmm. really was. Yep. Had yeah, he, so we have had an old he history had, together. Had he ever done a Western before that? No. He had never done a Western either. The only ones, there was very few people on the film that had done a Western. Michael Bean, well, certainly Michael Bean, Russo, and the Spears brothers. Um, and Daniel Valuze, of course, that's, that's the majority of what he's done is, is Westerns. And uh, Peter Shereko, who played Farley. Remember him? Rex, he has the cigar in his mouth the whole time. Of course. Of course. Um, and he, not only did he play Farley, but he provided us through his company, Caravan West, with uh -huh. all the movie horses, all the saddlery, oh, okay. the artillery, the costumes, the props, the set designer, the production designer, and the art department. So wow. he was a huge godsend. And he came how to. You, how did you. Go ahead. Yeah, you were gonna, we actually got him through Katie Elhoffer, our costume designer. She said to me, um, and I love her, and, and I'm sure you'll be talking to her as well. Uh, she said, you know, you should talk to Peter Shereko. And she said, I just did a small Western with him, and he has everything you need. 
And I went, oh, my God. And we had the role of Farley, too. And he said, well, you know, I'd, I'd love to play that role. And we went, you got it. You're perfect. He was great. He was great. When you meet Peter Shereko, I mean, he is a real cowboy. And you just don't make Westerns without him. It's that wow. simple. You know, he, well, actually and, outfitted, and, uh, he outfitted Tombstone, too, I believe. Oh, really? Well, that's very cool. Now, you know, one of the things that I, I'll just point out as an aside for the listener, and that is, again, if, if this goes back to kind of it's who who you know and who knows you. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, people often think, well, I break in, I do this, and, you know, I'm 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 of value. But, you know, it's your costumer says, hey, I know this guy, you know, and, you you know, I mean, it it's like anything else. You know, it, it's a business, and it's a business based on, on trust and referrals, and sometimes things don't work out. But, I mean, people, you said, I'll use Paul Weber. Paul is a friend, and he's been on my show a number of times. I even brought him into Milwaukee to do a casting workshop for actors here. Wonderful. Uh, so that they could have experience meeting somebody who's a professional in the business and, and you know, know what they're looking for. You know, and, and uh, you know, he's incredible but i mean you know you said earlier you said well i would work with Walt paul on everything and that's and that's what i think a lot of filmmakers trying to break in don't understand it's not because people want to exclude anyone yes. it's because they found an inclusive team that they bond they bond and they bind because they uh, know and trust and value each other's work and their experience and their reputations and and so these little clicks happen and it's not not to trying to keep anybody out but it is hard to get in because yes, yes. I, I worked actually with Martin Scorsese and Woody Allen. I had the honor of working go. with both of them. <clears throat> I was in Goodfellas and Crimes and Misdemeanors, and both of them as directors, that's what they do. They, from Woody Allen hires the same casting director. You know, Scorsese almost always works with De Niro. I mean, those are just very small examples, but they, they're sure. teams there. Exactly right, and and as an actor, I always felt on the outside saying, "Oh well, how do, same thing that you're you're talking about. How do you get in? Well, being on the other side now, I totally understand that because our money and our lives are based on those people knowing what they're doing, and that trust level, it, it's enormously important to making the film the right way. And you, you you do you gravitate towards the kind of people that you want to work with. Lenore comes from a from a stage training background doing off Broadway. You know, not everybody does that. You know, some people can't do stage work. And so I think that, you know, because she did this with Nick, that there was a natural gravitation towards each other. And, uh, and as well as some other people like James Russo, who did a lot of, you know, stage work himself. Well, you know, it's 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 an amazing thing because, uh, Lenore, you and I were talking about this. When you, when you shift from an actor... To the other side, I should say we were talking about this at another time, so people don't sit there and go, "When, when, when did they say that?" <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so, uh, maybe I'm hallucinating. Um, but uh, but we were talking about when you shift from being an actor to being behind camera, you understand how the actor does or doesn't fit into everything. And when you're just the actor, you tend to think, "Well, this is my shot. This this is the difference between paying my rent or not paying my rent. Or this is my moment to shine." And and you know, my career will launch from here. You may not have an understanding of how you fit into it as a team player or or the value of your character or the role or the story as as much as the director or the producers, the people who who are looking at the big picture. Yes. So, yes. It, 
Yeah, it, it, I, yes, that was a good conversation that we were having. I, I remember that. It, it's definitely something that I think most all actors should actually just, even if they assisted a casting director at the very yeah. least on a casting session, would see that it's not about them. And, and that's really where actors, we, where we all come from, we think it's about us, but it's not. It's about the tapestry that is trying to be created through the casting director, the director, the writer, the producers. They have a vision. And either you're going to fit that vision per- perfectly and be the answer to their prayers, or you're terrific, but you just don't happen to fit that color of thread that we were looking for. And it has nothing to do with them. It has nothing to do with you as the actor. And <clears throat> it, it really helped me to sit in on those casting sessions. Uh, we had two casting directors. We had Bridget Burdine, who cast all of the Native American roles. And again, you're right. She was a dear friend of mine. I met her through doing voiceover. And she had wonderful connections uh, with the Native American community, and she cast the Native Americans. Um, and so, and and Paul did all the cowboys and and the male leads. So I sat in those sessions, and I would see these actors that were terrific, and we'd all look at each other when they walked out, and we'd say, you know, he's perfect, but he looks just like the other guy that we have in mind for the other role. Can't do mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So they don't realize that it could be something so subtle as that. Um, and it really would help actors a lot if they did that, um, at the very least. Or go work on a film. Be a PA for a day or two. Just be a PA for a day or two and see what the other side is like um, and what the directors and producers are going through. So it really is about the big picture. It's not about the, the those specific actors. Um, maybe they wind up on the cutting room floor. It has nothing to do with their performance. It has to do with it's not working in the story. Right. We were right. we were so lucky in casting because really our entire cast just fit exactly the way we envisioned it when we were writing it. Yeah. We just didn't dream that we could get somebody like Michael and Eddie Spears. We didn't have any idea that we could get you know James Russo and Michael Bean in our movie. Um, you know Eddie Spears is now one of the stars of Hell on Wheels, which is a real popular show on TV that uh-huh. got picked up again. Michael uh, has been in, in a lot of stuff. He was in Dances with Wolves. I think he played, what was it, Otter? He, he played? played Otter, yeah. Michael Spears, Otter. yeah. So, you know, we had the hots for these guys. They were on a wish yeah. list, you know. And uh, and uh, because of Bridget, we were able to, to get those people. And that's that's great when you see it all coming together as the writers, you know, when you see these people filling in the roles. And they and they all fit their, their, their roles perfectly, I think. Oh, that's very cool. That. And that's got to be a great feeling when you see it come alive, you know, and you, and you go, oh, <laughs> this is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I want to ask you, because we have, you know, maybe about 10 minutes or so left here, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, uh, we've got so much more to talk about, and we will, and I want Steve and, and you to come back and, and chat more at other We'd times. We'd love to. But I, I want to ask both of you, but Steve, I want to ask you first, as executive producer, what, because I think there are a lot of people, like I said before, you know, they pick up a camera, they they, they Pull together their friends. They make, and, and that should be a clue right off the bat. If you pull together your friends to make your first movie, think about when you're making your fiftieth movie. You're still pulling together your friends. <laughs> you're, pulling together, you're pulling together those people who you've developed relationships, who you trust, and you know, because there's a whole lot on the line, especially when there, there are dollars being spent versus a no-budget movie. Uh, then there's a lot on the line, but but it's not necessarily the dollars. But but the idea. Uh, I have the question, but I'm going to make a statement first. 
Because you mentioned being a PA or doing casting sessions, and I think this is absolutely uh, crucial for people. If you can, even if there's no pay, if you can volunteer, you get yourself onto a movie set and you work, as Lenore suggested, as Steve will suggest, um, you know, these positions, and find out what everybody does, find out how they do it, find out maybe why they do it, but work it and see how uh, everything comes together and make yourself absolutely uh, valuable to everyone there without being a pest and without being, you know, uh, standing out and, and creating trouble. <laughs> Add value to them, and 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 you may find that you get a paying job the next time. But also that 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 will, I mean, that education alone is worth uh, far more than you could ever imagine. Yeah. Now, to Steve and then and to Lenore, first time filmmakers or or early filmmakers, as an executive producer, what advice do you give uh, to people who are saying, you know, I, I want to go make a movie? And then Lenore, I mean, you're a producer and an actor, so uh, I, the same question is there for you as well. Uh, well, first of all, um, exposure, which is what you were talking about, is something that I learned when and when I was doing stand up comedy. So for for people that want to get into this industry, expect to do that. Expect to get out there and, and work for free sometimes and, and get yourself out there. I mean, it, it's all about networking, and it, it is a who who knows you or who do you know business. It's just that simple. So it's great when you're getting your friends together, and, and but when things start getting really serious and, and everything starts stepping up, as was the case with our movie, you know, you're not looking at friends. You're looking for experienced people. We were fortunate that Lenore just happens to have been in this industry long enough to know those experienced people to fall right. back on. So we got lucky in that regard. I, as an executive producer, relied on my partner Lenore Andrell and her vast, you know, experience and knowledge of the of the industry itself to pull us through this. So yes, my advice is make sure you have somebody that really knows what they're doing. And I'm going to say it again: don't be undercapitalized because that's that's critical. There's going to be something that's going to happen, you know. And and then if you if you you're going to sit there with a movie and post that you can't get sold. So it's critical to make sure that you have, you know, enough funding for your movie and for the mistakes that are going to happen. You don't know what they're going to be, but they're going to happen, and you have to prepare for that. So, for filmmakers, don't you know, be, be prepared. You can't be prepared enough. Like po- like pre-production. Yeah, you just can't. You know, to, to tell, there's a story behind every single scene that we shot. <laughs> I bet there is. It's it's really amazing. Again, we could make a movie about the making of this. <laughs> you know, it should be a documentary or something. Um, you cannot go to school for what we did. Yeah, and I think, actually, that's an interesting point that Steve just made. If I had to, there's so many things, of course, that we would do differently now, but and many of the things that we did do correctly that we would do again. Um, one of the things that I, I would do is uh, I would have our editor there on set, and at the end of the day, and we did not do this, and at the end of the day, when the DIT guys get done uh, downloading that all those shots from that day, all that raw footage, have it handed off to the editor who can then run and start working on a first a first initial assembly because it not only does that help in terms of um, getting the film done quicker, but you also get to see um, we didn't even have time to look at dailies at the end of the day. So he could actually be your your other set of eyes looking and saying, you know what, guys, you're missing the coverage on this or that or that shot shot. It never came out. You need to either do it again or you need to make some sort of an adjustment, whatever the case is. So <clears throat> you can't have enough 
safety valves while you're on set, whether it's literally safety or whether it's the safety of the film and how the film is progressing. Um, I would also have iPads on set next time so that we can, after each scene, we could actually see right then and there and go, okay, you know what, we're done, let's move on. Because sometimes you think you're done and you actually maybe forgot to get so-and-so's hand reaching for their gun as an insert. And now on film, it's like, well, where did that come from? Um, so there's many aspects that you can do to sort of cover yourself. Also, in terms of behind-the-scenes footage, we did have uh, Keith Clark shooting behind-the-scenes. But frankly, I would have had an even bigger crew doing that because it's very tough to get the interviews. We're all shooting. <laughs> the poor guy was pulling his hair out. He couldn't get enough interviews because all the main cast was shooting most of the time. So, you know, I would make sure that I had enough coverage both in photography. Uh, there was never enough, never enough shots that were done because you need those for publicity and promotion later on and websites and using that, those tools. You know, we're in a digital age. You need to be able to promote, promote, promote after the film is done, and you need all of that footage and those stills and video clips and anything you can gather um, that help people to see behind the scenes and what, what it was like. That's Which awesome. is why truly awesome. I was going to say some smart directors like Nick Vallelonga, ours, would keep the camera either rolling after the shot or make sure that you're filming the rehearsals, especially when you're doing low-budget movies. A lot of times your actors get it, you know, better in the rehearsal than they did when they, when, you're, when the cameras were, you know, when everybody was ready to go. So there's lots of tricks to the trade where you can really save yourself, you know. But the biggest thing is just being prepared. Wow, that's very cool. That is very cool. Um, you know, I, I miscalculated our time. We actually have a few more moments than I thought. So if you've prepared to wind down, we can actually continue a little bit. Sure. We have lots of stories. Uh, that, that is great advice. That is truly, truly great advice. Let me ask uh, the question about Daniel uh, Value Zay and, mm -hmm. and how you you uh, ended up at the Value Zay Ranch and how he ended up becoming involved as as the exec P, as a as a EP. Well, I'm going to let Lenore talk about Daniel. They have struck up a, a, an amazing friendship. You're going to have a chance to, and your listeners will have a chance to listen to Daniel, who's done over 300 movies. He's one of the most fascinating guys I've ever met in my life. Um, yeah, wow. And, uh, never at a loss for anything to say. You know, gazillion stories to tell you. But um, why don't you tell us, Lenore, um, how it all came about with Daniel? We were looking for um, – we, we assumed that we were going to have to shoot this movie in a couple of different locations. Um, you know, this is the Wild West. You know, we're, we're assuming we're not going to get one-stop shopping, but that would have been the dream. And Ricardo uh, Gale, who was actually um, one of our DPs, the other one was Matt Garrett and uh, Kenneth Young, but he was one of our main ones. He actually suggested the Values A Movie Ranch. We've been location scouting all over the place, and we're not finding the right one. He finally recommended that. We went there, and I thought I entered heaven. This was the perfect mm. location. It had everything we wanted. Actually, the town of Yellow Rock was not in the script initially. And as soon as we got there and saw this fantastic, old, dirty, dusty, gritty town, um, he actually turned to me, Ricardo, and said, oh, rewrite. And I went, yeah, you bet. And <laughs> <laughs> we're definitely going to get the value out of this. And uh, so Steve and I decided absolutely that that would be the town of Yellow Rock. 
And once we talked to, to Daniel and found everything perfectly and this was the place, he said, you know what, let me, before I say yes to you renting the ranch, I have to read the script. And he read it and he called back and he said, I absolutely love this. I, I, it has so much to it. I love the message of this film. I want to be involved. Um, you absolutely can shoot here and I think I can help you. And we said, oh, my God, yes, please, we need help. So he came on as another executive producer um, with The Ranch, and he then wound up becoming one of our main on-set producers because once – it became the, the trickle-down theory. You know, once the initial director was gone, Nick then moved from producer to director. I, of course, as producer, had to move in front of the camera as Dr. Sarah. So that left poor Steve, <laughs> first film, out of the gate, having to be executive producer along with co-executive producer Anthony Lawrence, um, neither of which had done a Western or done a film. So Daniel became also then our on-set producer. Uh, he was a godsend. I mean, I would literally be standing there, you know, where I just got done being, uh, getting blood on me, and now I have to turn and sign a check. <laughs> you know? And Daniel was running everything um, and showing Steve and Tony, and they were helping him and he was helping them. So it created a wonderful uh, nucleus where then Nick and I as producers could keep popping in, and of course they kept running up to us at, uh, with the next emergency that we all always had to deal with. And it worked out to be a very, a very symbiotic relationship. He also wound up doing uh, second unit direction and got a lot of those wonderful insert shots. And there's a scene in the movie that I defy anyone to find that was actually a pickup shot that Daniel did. And, and we can talk about it next go around uh, after people have watched it. But it's, it's a really fun bit of trivia. Um, so that's You're defying them to find what, it, what essentially be, was a pickup shot? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is so masterful. When it was picked up later, outside of outside of the uh, principal photography. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. right after I mean, you look at your for the listeners. Uh, right. Yes. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say after you after you've watched your movie, you know, and uh, and obviously you want to try and do this while you're on set. <laughs> right. <laughs> say, right. Hey, we need to re yeah we need to reshoot this scene or we didn't get this or we didn't get that, and so sometimes and again this is where you have to leave yourself you know some extra capital to go back if you need to and do some pickup right. shots. It can be very simple. It can be something that just allows your movie to breathe a little bit more. It can be very simple. And sometimes it can be complex, whatever it is that you want to do. But we had well, to go ahead. Go ahead. do that ourselves, and I think that uh, Daniel pulled it off flawlessly. Yep, he did. And that's a tribute to our editor, John Vasquez, as well. Right. What were you going to say, Rick? Very cool. I was just going to say that also that also goes back to your point of having an on-set editor because if they can look at it while you're still on-set and know, hey, you need this, yeah. or you know, you flapped your eye lines or something, or, you know, you can you can you can do. Hopefully, you can still incorporate it while you're there. That's right. But this sounds awesome. The fact that you were able to go back after the fact and still get a pickup and sit there and go, I defy you to to tell you know us which it is. That's cool. <laughs> Which is also a credit to Daniel, too, because if you were at a different location, we might not have been able to do that. But thankfully, because it was all at that at the Values and Movie Ranch, Daniel said, you know, I will make sure that we can, uh, when you guys need, or need, need to and are ready, I'll make sure that we, we were able to go back and get those pickup pick shots that we needed. And he did a great job in second unit directing that. Well, that is awesome. Well, let me say this right now. It is yellow movie, yellowrockmovie.com, yellowrockmovie.com. It's Yellow mm-hmm. Rock Movie on Twitter. 
It's Yellow Rock Movie on Facebook. And Lenore and Steve, you're both on Facebook. And yes. there's Yellow Rock, is it Yellow Rock Movie on YouTube? Is that the same yes. channel? Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's Yellow Rock Movie on YouTube. So there's lots for uh, people who are listening right now live or archive to go and look at and read and, and join and listen and do all of that sort of thing. I want to make sure that we got that in there. Um, also, we're going to have Lenore and Steve back. We'll also have conversations with others coming up. Next, very next conversation we're going to have about Yellow Rock is, is this coming Thursday, December 6th. If you guys who are listening right now live or archive would do me the favor and tweet that and use the link you know, to, to promote it, uh, uh, that would be fantastic. Put it out there. Put it on Facebook. Put it on Twitter. Share it with your friends. Let them know to listen then as well. Uh, if, they, if you can't listen live, obviously you can always listen archived, and that's the value of the podcast too. Um, so share that. Leave comments before we go from the show and, and tweet about this interview and Facebook. I really would appreciate that. Um, well, we're going to talk about a lot of different things. I mean, we, we can talk with the costumer and different people who are on the shoot. Love to talk to the editor. Love to talk about post-publicity and marketing and the festival runs that you've done mm-hmm. as well and, and be able to cover that. So I just want our listeners to know there's a lot. I, I, the opportunity for Lenore and Steve that have presented the listeners of Movie to to in-depth discuss the making uh, and tracking of uh, of Yellow Rock is, I think, just absolutely wonderful and astounding. And we get to talk to people who are in the trenches doing it and, and what you've done and, and, and continue to do. So thank you very much for that. I appreciate that greatly. Oh, thank you, Rex. This is really enjoyable. We love being a part of, of your show today. <laughs> Me too. Our pleasure. Me too. <laughs> yeah, no, you bet. Well, you have brought a lot of value to the show and a lot of value to my listeners in this uh, about 80 minutes or 85 minutes of, of conversation. We are going to have to close it out now. Uh, I'm going to leave you both have the last word. Uh, the listeners will know that you're coming back, and you and I will talk in just a moment um, once the show wraps. But um, uh, go ahead, whatever you'd like to leave uh, people with, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Rex. Uh, yes, I, I would love for the listeners, if, if they get the opportunity um, to get the film at Walmart or Redbox, uh, Amazon.com, all the, and it's also listed on our, our website and Facebook pages, uh, I invite them to look at the film um, uh, and, and, take, and write some questions down because I really think that we're more than happy to sit here and, and, and give our time and share and give back to the film community, um, both as actors and writers and producers. Uh, to really help them because uh, your show is really invaluable to people and and I really applaud you Rex I think it's it's great what you do and uh, I wish that Steve and I had had actually known you then because I would have loved to have gotten some <laughs> some heads up before we did ours but uh, we're certainly here to to share and give back with the experiences um, that we had that that hopefully people can gain from so we are honored to be here. And we're also very uh, now getting very involved in the Native American culture, which is a beautiful culture. And I want the whole world to know this. And, and their stories are extremely compelling, and we'd like to do it again. Yeah, for sure. Oh, very cool. So um, uh, I want to say thank you very much. I was going to ask a question, but I realized we're out of time. Okay. Uh, but thank you very much. We will, we will, we will have a reprise very shortly. <laughs> we look forward to it. And I look forward to it. Thank you so much, and have a fabulous rest of the day. This has been a fascinating conversation with two very fascinating and, and incredible filmmakers. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Thank you, Rex. Thank you. All right, and we will talk very shortly. You All got right. it. Bye-bye. 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 
All right. That was my guests, Lenore Andriel and Steve Doucette, uh, producer, writer, actor for Lenore, uh, executive producer, and uh, everybody, everything else behind the scenes uh, with Steve. I mean, they both, you know, I mean, when you make a movie, those of you who have I certainly know that uh, though you may wear one hat, Oftentimes you're called on to do many, 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 many other things and wear many other hats, and and certainly that applies here. And I want to talk to Lenore in the future about how she did so and how Steve did so and how the people would, you know, what is it like to write and produce and act all at the same time, you know, or, or and be able to give up. Because one, if you're the producer, you have to give up control to be the actor. You know, somebody else has to step in as they were talking about. So there's so many things that we can talk about. Take an opportunity, and I really do. Um, you can join us in the chat room and ask questions the next time. You can email me the questions. Go to RexSykes.com. Go to the contact page. It will have my email address. There's a thing up there that says questions in advance. If you've got questions that you want to ask of this guest or about the movie, even if we have other guests, you can ask questions. We'll be happy to um, to ask them on the air. And any questions you have in the chat room, you know, we can ask too during that time. So if you can and you will, take advantage of that. Do leave comments. Do rate and review the podcast. And thanks so much for joining us and for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter as well. It's Rex Sykes Movie BT. It's Rex Sykes Movie BT on Twitter. I love it when you do that and uh, when you share that. And uh, Rex Sykes Movie Beat on, on Facebook. It's actually Rex Sykes Movie Beat Friends on Facebook. My profile is to the max. I can't, you know, get people onto my profile. But you can join us at Rex Sykes Movie Beat, and uh, and please do. I want to thank again Lenore and Steve, and uh, we got many more exciting guests coming up in the near future as well. Other guests besides Yellow Rock, and and certainly all of the fascinating people uh, that uh, participated in Yellow Rock. So be sure to stay tuned, and please keep sharing this website and these interviews with all of your friends and your contacts. We do appreciate that. And uh, everybody, I hope you have a fabulous day. Make your movies, complete your projects, and until we meet the next time, that's a wrap.